Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have an exciting founder, you know, a founder that he's, uh, you know, going to be walking us through his journey, you know, building, scaling, financing, all of the good stuff that we like to hear. Uh, you know, in this case, you know, like he went from being a consultant to being an entrepreneur, uh, and we're going to be touching, you know, everything into detail. But again, we have quite an inspiring conversation ahead of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Max Anyor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. So originally born in France, but I know that you grew up in different places. How was life growing up for you? Give us a walk through memory lane. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Brittany, so far west of France, uh, in Brest. And uh, then I grew up in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah. It's quite different, uh, of course, uh, from one place to another um, until, my, until I was like uh, 14 years old. At uh, that moment, we used to spend also a lot of time in Greece on a small island called Kalimnos in the Dodecanese Islands. Uh, and then I went back to Brittany in military, military school. So that was completely a different uh, atmosphere and environment. And then Paris, uh, I did my business school. Um, and after I worked in Hong Kong, London, New York, and back to Paris, funding local needs. So uh, very quickly, that was uh, the last uh, 38 years uh, of my life. So I guess, how, how did that whole, you know, changing places, new friends, new, you know, scenes, how do you think that that shaped you up and how do you think that kind of like build up your worldview as well? Mm, I guess, to be honest, it's um, when I came back in front, for instance, I, I didn't feel French at all. And I was like, uh, you know, uh, talking to my parents who were still like in Saudi Arabia and telling them like, oh, like French people are so weird. <laughs> and um, and so I guess just... Uh, you felt very more multicultural. Uh, you, it took also a while for me to feel that I was belonging to one place, which is definitely now Paris, where I have my, uh, my family, my husband, and my daughter. Um, but after, I don't, the impact maybe for, with local Chinese is really more like, yeah, the love for travel, but I think more like connecting with people and, uh, and knowing that local people, like uh, people living in a place, do know far better than you how to do things. Now, in your case, business, the world of business, how did you get, you know, the uh, attractiveness, you know, towards it? Because I know that that was what you ended up, uh, you know, going for your studies. So um, why business out of all things? I would love to say that it was like a vocation or a passion or something, but not at all. To be honest, like I was... Uh, a very good student at school. And then I did like uh, kind of the best um, uh, study. Like, uh, so in France, it's called class préparatoire, preparatory classes. And then I went to HEC, which is like a, a good business school in Europe, uh, based in France, next to Paris. So at first, to be honest, I think it was not really like uh, um, in something I did with passion. It was more like just... Uh, doing one thing after another, being a good student and uh, 
And I re and same thing with working in finance or working in consulting. Um, so I guess it really mm, my my journey into like uh, work life really started like ten years ago when we founded the collectionist. So then, in your case, you know, like consulting, you know, you go added into the uh, labor world, you know, and obviously, you know, consulting is um, one of the areas that I see. Uh, essentially very successful entrepreneurs, you know, really pursuing. Uh, I find that it's very good training when it comes to problem solving and the way that it helps you to really develop a framework for grabbing really big problems, uh, breaking them down into really small problems, and then tackling them one by one. How was that experience for you? And how do you think that those frameworks do have helped you as well as an entrepreneur? No, I guess the two things from my uh, my experience in, uh, in in consulting. The first one is definitely like the toolbox. I'm still using the tools that I was using uh, in my consulting years. Uh, I'm still applying the same recipes. I'm still pushing everyone to have like uh, a yearly, quarterly, monthly, weekly roadmap. Um, I'm still using. Uh, a tool called uh, RACI to split responsibilities between people for for different tasks for one project. So I guess at the end, I, I'm still using a lot of things I, I learned uh, during my uh, consulting years. That's the first thing. The second thing, at that time, I was also an employee like uh, a lot of other employees in that company. And uh, and I think it, it's something that is also quite useful um, as an entrepreneur to be also an employee before, and so to understand sometimes the frustration you can get, you can have uh, to understand also the, the expectations one has in one company. And um, so, no, I guess consulting skills, of course, but also like just being a part of a team and uh, um, and not like an entrepreneur or a CEO from the start is something that is very useful after um, when you drive a company. So then give us a walkthrough what was that um, you know, that process, the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to really bring the collectionist, you know, to life? What was going on, you know, back in let's say 2013, you know, 2014 when you started to really see a world where maybe, you know, you could venture out on your own and and perhaps bring a solution to a problem that you were seeing? Yeah, definitely. So at the beginning it was really a question like uh um a gut feeling that there was something happening on this market, like the uh, private property rental industry. Of course, it was like a huge invalidation from Airbnb, but also a feeling that owners from luxury, of luxury properties didn't want to list their uh, amazing properties on this kind of platforms. And so I think it was really the beginning of the story, it was just like a feeling that in that market, in that industry, something big was happening, which it still is because it's like the highest growth in the uh, hospitality industry, um, private property rental. Um, and that uh, if uh, we focus on one segment, especially like the luxury one, with additional layer of services on both like the owners and the guests, it was something to, there was something to do. That was maybe the first approach, like the the gut feeling that uh, we needed to uh, create this uh, uh, company. Second thing, we really had a very pragmatic uh, proof of concept approach 
We started with two destinations, so Deauville in the north of France and Saint-Tropez in the south of France. Uh, and we had like, I, I don't remember the target, but like such a, a small like uh, financial target that we, uh, uh, and we're like, okay, either we reach this target and we continue the journey, or just we don't reach the target and we stop. We don't want to spend years, you know, like working on a project that don't really has attraction. So, uh, uh, and we hit the target, we overperformed the target. And the year after, we went to raise our, some money. So it was our first, first fund, uh, fundraising in December 2015. So then, so then let's talk about to the, um, the business model of like collectionists. What ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money? So we make money, uh, most of our money are coming from uh, the revenues from the rental part of the activity. So we take 20% on uh, any rental that we do. Um, that's uh, the first step and it accounts for um, mostly like 80% of the revenues of the company, depending on the years, but it's, uh, it's always around that. It's the extra 20%. Uh, is, is, is essentially the concierge service. So if you want a chef, if you want to rent a boat, if you want like a yoga teacher, if you want us to organize a small event, a small wedding, a small birthday party, if you want a ski instructor, or whatever you can wish for, we, we can provide. Um, uh, you just, it just has to be legal, of course. And, um, and now we have more and more uh, additional services. Like for instance, we work for uh, the transaction part of the business. So uh, uh, for you to buy a property, uh, we connect you to the right people. We do also some consulting. If you want to build a property in a destination and you need, you need to understand what kind of property you want to build to maximize your revenues, it is also something we can do. So provide, providing you the data from our business for you to build the best property in terms of maximization of the revenues. Um, so property management, also like handling your property all year long, whatever you need, like uh, renovating the property or, or just like be sure to, that we open the property, that we make sure that everything is working well before season. Uh, it's uh, also a part of our revenue. So little by little, we're adding more and more stream lines of revenues, but it will always be to serve the core business. And the core business is uh, for our both uh, customers, so the owners and the guests, Rent the properties, rent the property. And then also, what were the early days like? And, and what was that point where you guys were able to really hit product market fit? Mm. I guess in 2018, there was... A, so 2018 was kind of a difficult year for us for many reasons. Like uh, uh, growth was uh, kind of a bit down. Profitability was not there. Um, and so 2019 was really like uh, a year uh, in which we changed a lot of things, uh, really like uh, upgraded, upgraded the portfolio. We got rid of uh, uh, a third of the portfolio. Uh, we had also to let like a third of the company, of the people working in the company uh, go. So that 2019 was a difficult year, but we, uh, the engine of growth restarted. And 2020 at the end was kind of when there was like the perfect product fit for us because when COVID hit, um, uh, at the end, we had the best product for people who wanted to travel because it was like a secluded area. You could choose who you were like uh, um, getting in the house with. 
you can choose if you wanted like 24 20, uh, 7 cleaning teams or just like no cleaning, I found no one coming into the property. So it's weird, but like 2020 was not really, it was a difficult year, of course, like everyone else. And uh, we're like doing and undoing things uh, every day, uh, borders opening, uh, closing. And so uh, for us, like doing new bookings, canceling them the day after. But at the end, there was also uh, an alignment of the planets, like we had the right product at the right time. And after that, there was like a big acceleration. And especially after that, after 2020, we really accelerated also on the M&A part of the business. We acquired six companies in total and five companies since 2021. Um, and that, uh, and now like uh, uh, revenues coming from M&A account for around 50% of the total revenues of the company. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then walk us through as well the fundraising. You know, how much capital have you guys raised to date and how has it been, you know, the journey of going from one cycle to the next? So I guess maybe around like 80 million, there was like several times where we just, you know, like raised a small amount of money for a deal we're making in terms of M&A, just our current investors. So I don't keep track of all the money, but uh, around 80 million should be uh, uh, quite uh, right. Uh, so the first the first time it was 1.5 million. Uh, and it was in December 2015. We did it with Itzange, part of the Cibarets Group now, and uh, Partech uh, Ventures. Um, it's weird because I don't know, but... Uh, I felt the first time was the most complicated one because like the business was still very small. You have to prove attraction. Of course, you are not, we're not, we're not profitable at that time. Uh, growth was there, but like growth from nothing is, it's, it's easy. Um, so, uh, and a lot of people tells you like, uh, you are the something of something, you know, like, uh, the booking.com of the property rentals, the uh, Google uh, maps of uh, whatever. So 
you just feel like, uh, and, and you're still pretty young in your business or even like young in age. I, I remember that I was like quite impressed from, uh, with all these people, uh, having big checkbooks and telling us who we were <laughs> and what we should do. Uh, so I felt like it was, uh, yeah, most complicated and traumatic, uh, fundraising experience we had. Um, and also discussing with a lot of people that didn't understand our business at that time. So a lot of waste of time. Um, but we are really lucky in the people we worked in. So, uh, it's Sanjo and Partek, it's Sanjo, uh, both of them are still, uh, in the capital of the company. Uh, it's Sanjo, uh, CEO. Uh, Cyril Bertrand is still uh, sitting at uh, local agency's board. So I guess it's kind of a success story in, uh, yeah, bringing the right people with us. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy and uh, I can thank them. I'm really grateful because uh, at that time, it was super hard to convince anyone. The second fundraising was in July 2017. At that time, it was also along with our first acquisition. So uh, a company called Bonder in Ibiza. Um, which is quite uh, a good thing to have, uh, this kind of very pragmatic and concrete project when you are raising funds, because it gives some perspective also to, uh, to um, an investor. So at that time, it was the first investment of a fund called Red River West uh, that was uh, funded for the first fund. A big part of it was funded by Artemis, which is the uh, uh, holding of the Pino family. And the Pino family, uh, Artemis, um, as a main uh, stake of our main stakeholder in Kering, Kering having like Gucci, Bottega Veneta, uh, Boucheron, uh, Saint Laurent, so a lot of luxury brands. Um, no, it was uh, it was uh, it was a, a good deal uh, for us in terms of uh, variation, but uh, uh, especially in terms of people that were bringing into the company, because the, it was a good it was a super recognition of the brand and what we built in terms of luxury experience, having these guys, so we're like super expert in what luxury means uh, and how you do luxury, uh, investing in us that, and we're still like small. Um, but uh, it was like, yeah, they have been super supportive in how to improve our luxury experience in what we do with the customers. In switching also, I think our mindset towards like how to serve the customers the best we can. Um, so, uh, and it was also a significant amount of money. Um, at that time, I guess, um, I don't know, found it was maybe too much money uh, and with a valuation that was maybe a bit higher than what uh, it should have been. Because I guess we were not really smart yeah in the way we spend that money and uh in the way and in the plan also that we sold at that time so but it's a good lesson because like uh, it's definitely something that uh, i used uh, that was super useful to me when we raised some money after that yeah i think 2019 when it was like a dramatic year or local chance it was not at all like a market condition whatever because uh covid only hit like uh uh, two years after, but it was more an issue with uh, um, the business. And uh, just we had a lot of money. We felt like we needed to go big in you know, recruiting some like very high profiles that were super expensive. We lost, I think, for a moment, our like, startup mode 
where you want to do things like for the less money you can put, uh, have like the maximum of impact and have like the biggest return on, the, on investment. Um, so I don't know, you know, when you win the lottery in France, you have some people, it's like, uh, it's mandatory, it's a legal thing to have some people helping you to manage this kind of money, like you, not for you to uh, lose it. You have like uh, a shrink and uh, uh, a team helping you to use your money, of course, to enjoy, but uh, uh, to use your money in a smart way. And I guess for our CVB, it would have, it would have, it should have, uh, it would have been very useful to have this kind of team helping, uh, helping us to spend our money in a smart way. And, um, and so when we, we raise after several times, but internally doing our acquisitions and when we, and the last uh, fundraising we, um, we went through, so 60 million was uh, led by Highland. Highland is, uh, uh, at first, like a uh, US fund, but it is the European branch that was founded uh, 15 years ago. Now, based in London and Geneva, um, the arena sitting at our board is uh, one of the founding members of uh, Island Europe. Um, amazing woman. And, uh, and I guess during this fundraising process, I was very more authentic about uh, even me and the business in what we could uh, deliver. Uh, the business plan was, uh, of course, attractive, but uh, closest to reality and super pragmatic. It was very based on acquisition, so it was very concrete. Uh, we had already like four LOIs signed. So one more time, I, I guess the last fundraising was, was long. It was not the best period because like uh, we started in April 2022 when like Nasdaq went down and so everyone like kind of shut down all discussion they had with, uh, in terms of investments, but we're lucky enough to have like, uh, different proposals and, uh, and to be able to sign with Highland, uh, in August, 2022. Um, but yeah, at the end, uh, what I love during this fundraising process was that it was very honest and a very honest and direct process when I felt like maybe the two first ones. I was belly dancing a lot and I'm not the best belly dancer in the room. So, uh, yeah, that's it. So I guess, uh, obviously, you know, like when it comes to, um, you know, really getting these people excited, getting customers excited, getting employees excited, you got to rally them around a vision. So when we're thinking about the vision here for the collectionist, you know, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Max, and you wake up in a world where the vision of the collectionist is fully realized. What does that world look like? So, I guess in that dream life, um, so, well, it's an extension to what we do today. Uh, it's not a vision that is completely abstract from uh, uh, current like uh, activity or current uh, training. So, we're already the, the leaders in Europe, so will be the local agents would be kind of like the leading, the only platform to rent a lottery property with services uh, globally. Uh, the idea also is, I think the concierge part of the business or like the, what we can call like the travel PA part of the business would be far more extensive than what we do now. So we would handle your holidays, whatever the accommodation. 
So of course we will have like a specialization in uh, private properties, but uh, and more and more today, what we do is like since we know our uh, guests so well and our, our owners too that that can work. Um, the idea is not only to be there when they are renting a luxury property, but uh, to be there whatever the accommodation. So if you go to any hotel like uh, Four Seasons, Aman, Soneva, uh, we can we can do that for you, and we'll always make sure that you have the best experience uh, being in a private property or being like in a hotel or or flying private or renting a boat or renting a car, whatever uh, you do during your traveling more for your personal life than work life, but we will be there. So in the vision, I think it's really to become like uh, the travel PA of our guests. And uh, that's all like, at the end, like super wealthy. And so super also demanding addition to, uh, uh, has like high expectation on, uh, on in terms of service. And so to be here and to be the best ones. So we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past and and doing so with a lens of reflection. Let's say I was to put you back into a time machine and I give you the opportunity of, you know, going back, you know, to, let's say 2013, to that moment where you're still a consultant, to that moment where you are envisioning, you know, a future where you would be basically becoming a, an entrepreneur, venturing into the unknown. Let's say you're giving your notice and coming out of, Chapois Halder, you know, which was the company that you were working at the time. And let's say you're right there waiting for that younger self coming out of that building and you're able to stop that younger self and you're able to tell that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why? Do you know what you know now? Mm. Maybe two things. The first thing would be be careful who you partner with. Uh, and, uh, because it's like, uh, it's like a, a work wedding. Um, so, uh, it's very demanding on, uh, the relationship that you have and, uh, it's a huge adventure, but uh, to be sure to have the right people along you is, uh, is very important. And the second thing would be like to, uh, uh, be true to yourself and trust yourself more. Uh, so, uh, to be maybe more authentic in, uh, in our, I think it took a lot of fun in, in this, uh, in make building the company. So I think it took me a long time to do things the way I really wanted to do them rather than to do them to please my former business partners, my investors, uh, uh, the entrepreneur crowd. Uh, and, um, I don't know why uh, I feel, <laughs> I think I was maybe still a bit young. But uh, I guess that uh, if you want entrepreneurship, it's such a commitment. I think you have to be very, yeah, genuine. And um, and last but not least, but like like, this is the other around because I met my husband at the same time. It's like, okay, this is a good guy. (laughs) You should marry him because he's going to be very supportive in the, when it is a big, big commitment also to build a company. And you need someone to be here with you, for you, with you. And so uh, marry this guy because uh, he's an amazing one. And it, it will help you also building the company. That's amazing. So, Max, for the people that are listening, 
that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Um, it's very easy. I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, I, I answer almost all the emails except for the one really like selling something hard that I don't need. But uh, otherwise, uh, I, um, I share a lot. So uh, uh, send me an email on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I will reply. Amazing. Well, hey, Max, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.